Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swag lane drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. Here's the run of the play. He is. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Week one National Football League is here. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast for another episode this week. We appreciate you finding us on the various podcast platforms, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spreaker, and everything in between. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in Tampa, Florida. We have a had a very interesting week in the world of sports. We had we commemorated 9-11 over the weekend, 20th anniversary, so... Uh, Shout out to every all the firefighters out there, all the first responders that do all the hard work that they do throughout the throughout the day in all walks of life. We very much appreciate everything you do, and obviously we're uh, celebrating the lives of all those that have, that were lost in 9/11. So hopefully you had a had a uh, we had a pleasant uh, uh, weekend in that regard. I know we did, luckily we didn't have any incidents anywhere around the world that I've heard of so that's a good thing too so um, but the week one National Football League started Thursday night with a great thriller in Tampa the Cowboys and the Buccaneers and once again Tom Brady goes down the field when they gotta have a field goal and gets it done and Ryan Suckup kicks a game-winning field goal with two seconds left to beat the Cowboys as Dak Prescott makes his return from his ankle injury Played very, very well, and there's plenty of good signs for the Cowboys heading into the 2021 season. So we're going to talk a little NFL. We're going to have Matt Zemick on. We have breaking news out of Los Angeles with the firing of Clay Helton. We're going to have a detailed talk with um, our buddy Matt Zemick, who covers USC for USA Today's Trojan Wire. We're going to chat with Matt about all things Clay Helton. The Pac-12 has had a huge couple of weeks uh, as well, and we're even going to have, Matt's going to even comment on Djokovic's Grand Slam bid. So we're going to talk to Matt Zimmick, and we're also going to, we are starting a new series on the Powers on Sports podcast called Life of the Wife. We are going to do an interview every couple of weeks with a coach's wife in professional sports. And this week, the first interview is going to be with Lynette McNair. Lynette is the wife of Todd McNair, who is the running backs coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So we're going to talk to Lynette about her journey through her uh, through life as a, as a coach's wife and all the cool things that come with that and some of the things that are not so fun that come with that. So we're going to talk and we're going to, we're going to do this Life of the Wife series every couple of weeks throughout the football season. We've got some cool interview set up for the future with some different people from around the NFL and different professional sports wives. So listen to Life of the Wife with Lynette McNair today. It's our episode, the first uh, interview releases today as part of this podcast. So let's hit on a, on a couple of uh, NFL notes real quick before we get to Matt 
and our and our conversation about the Clay Helton situation. NFL, what a Monday night game in in Las Vegas. The Raiders outlast the Ravens in overtime, 33-27. Uh, ebb and flow of a game. Ravens up early. Raiders come back. Ravens up late. Raiders kick a late field goal at the gun to send it to overtime. Raiders on the one-yard line in overtime, throw an interception. Lamar Jackson fumbles. And the Raiders end it with a David Carter, Zay Jones, rainbow of a touchdown pass in overtime. What a game. What a start. Good for the Raiders. John Gruden and the Raiders getting off to a, to a big win in week one against the Ravens. Matt Stafford, Los Angeles Rams Sunday night. Put it to the Chicago Bears pretty good. He played excellent in his debut with Sean McVay. Three touchdown passes, looked very good in that offense. The other part of this story, when is Justin Fields going to get the nod in Chicago? Andy Dalton was okay, not great by any means, threw a critical interception on the first drive. I think you're going to see Justin Fields sooner rather than later in Chicago. Uh, it would not shock me if he's the starter this week, um, but I think by probably week four at the latest, you'll see Justin Fields in the lineup for the Chicago Bears in a, in, a, in a critical season for the Bears and Matt Nagy. How about Green Bay and New Orleans? The rebirth of Jameis Winston under Sean Payton played terrific. Five touchdown passes. Remember the game was in Jacksonville due to the hurricane that moved New or that moved the Saints out of New Orleans. The Packers just got destroyed. They were never in the game. Aaron Rodgers played very poorly. The defense was terrible. Um, didn't really give Green Bay much of a chance. And the, and the Saints in that offensive line played really, really well, along with Jameis Winston. So <clears throat> that's a story to keep your eye on is the development of Jameis and how well he continues to play for Sean Payton. Last NFL point, rookie quarterbacks. You had most of your rookie quarterbacks played. Every, all of them played at least a couple of plays. But Lawrence played in their loss to the Texans. Kind of a mixed performance. Uh, you had Zach Wilson play for the Jets. You had Andy Dalton. I mean, not Andy Dalton. You had Justin Fields play a little bit. You had Trey Lance play a couple plays for the for the 49ers. Um, but Zach Wilson looked okay. He, 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 give him credit. Their offensive line was not very good, but he hung in there. And, they, and, they, and he played better in the second half. Lawrence played okay in his debut. Nobody played terrible. So that's the good news is none of those guys really struggled. So that's that's a, that's good news le leading forward for those t franchises is that their guys, the ones that did play significant time, weren't terrible. They 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 struggled at times, but they they also showed some glimpses of why they were such high draft picks. So lot some optimism in Jacksonville in New York with those guys. Obviously, you have uh, the optimism with with the Bears and with the 49ers as well. So that's your Week One NFL. There were some. Uh, there weren't any massive injuries to report. Uh, you know, there were some injuries, but nobody was n nobody catastrophic of a superstar uh, guy that went down for the season. So that's good news as well. Let's go to the college football world. A couple matchups for this week. It's not a great week on the docket at, at first glance. You have Alabama, Florida. You have Auburn, Penn State. You have Oklahoma, Nebraska. Are kind of your three matchups. Be interesting to see how. What what Dan Mullen decides to do in at Florida with the quarterback situation, Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson. You got Alabama coming to town, CBS 330 on Saturday. The primetime game is Auburn Penn State in Happy Valley. 
Again, Brian Harson's first big game is the Auburn coach going up to Penn State. James Franklin and company. Interesting to see where Auburn's at. And you have Oklahoma-Nebraska renewing that rivalry from, from way back in the day, so from back in their Big 12 days. So we'll be interested to see, obviously, Scott Frost in Nebraska. Oklahoma was a huge favorite in the game, so we'll see how Scott Frost, if he can muster up an upset bid against Oklahoma as we uh, head into uh, week number three of the college football season. All right, so you're going to hear, after we take a quick break, you're going to hear Matt Zemeck. We're going to break it down. Clay Helton out at USC. Who are the candidates? What were they thinking? Where would they go? Things like that. Matt's going to have great insight based on his day-to-day coverage of the Trojans for USA Today, Trojan Wire. And then you're going to hear Lynette McNair in our Life of the Wife series talk about her journey as a coach's wife and uh, being married to Todd McNair, the running backs coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Remember, subscribe, rate, and review. And we will talk again next week on the Powers on Sports podcast. Enjoy the interviews. All right, we have breaking news from the West Coast on the Powers on Sports podcast. If you've not already heard, which you probably have, uh, Clay Helton out at USC as the head football coach. And the guy that covers USC on a daily basis, Matt Zemick of USA Today's Trojan Wire. He's a regular on the podcast. He joins us, and we are going to break it down, all things USC and the Pac-12. But we are going to hit on Clay Helton out at USC. This is something we've Matt and I have talked about for several months that could be brewing. And today was D-Day, so welcome back, Matt. Habemus coachum. You know, uh, when they elect a new pope, they say habemus papam. <laughs> we, we have a new pope. That's the Latin. So habemus coachum. You know, we have uh, the white smoke coming from the uh, the chapel, uh, you know, in, in the Vatican. And so USC's <laughs> long nightmare is over. Fans have been waiting quite a long time because you know clay helton went five and seven in 2018 and any competent athletic director uh you know lynn swan the former pittsburgh steeler legend former usc football legend he was the ad at the time didn't bring down the hammer mike bone comes in in 2019 and you know clay helton improves to eight wins and you know an okay season so like not not the easiest political time for mike bone to fire helton and then you had the pandemic when USC didn't really look that good in terms of how it played, but it went five and one, won the Pac-12 South. Also not the easiest time to fire a head coach, but now he saw his opening. Like this was, you know, rock another rock bottom moment for Clay Helton and Bone Pounce. Now USC fans thought this was going to drag out. They thought that, you know, th- they would need to get worse before Bone finally arrived at a decision. This is partly because USC president Carol Folt really hasn't been uh, all that tough on Helton. Uh, she doesn't really seem to get it in terms of, you know, the urgency of the moment, but Bone finally felt empowered. And he also saw a lot of different things happening over the past 48 hours that, that told him, yeah, I got to act now. I cannot let this uh, just uh, bleed out over the course of the season. And if those of you that didn't, that, aren't, that, that weren't in tune, uh, USC got blasted by Stanford at home over the weekend. Was it 42-17? I believe well, the, final, the final score was 42 28, but that's okay. the thing. It was 42 13 in the third quarter. Yeah. Fans emptied out of the Coliseum steadily uh, from the middle of the third quarter on. 
by the time the game was end, had ended, there were like three to four thousand people there. I mean, the, the place just totally emptied out. And I think the optics of that yes. was a big factor. And it's noteworthy. Earlier on Monday, ESPN chose what's likely to be like a 40-point, 50-point blowout. ESPN chose Oregon-Arizona. I mean, that game's not going to be anything close. It's going to be over by halftime. But ESPN chose that over USC-Oregon State. Wow. And, that's, and I think USC did not want to look at a stadium that's going to have 50,000 empty fans because no one wanted to come as long as Clay Helton was the coach. You don't want to support an athletic department if that the athletic department – isn't firing the bad head coach. So Mike Bone put two and two together. He did the math. And, and you know, I don't know how much resistance he had internally uh, at Heritage Hall and the, the halls of power at USC, but he, he put his foot down and said, yeah, we're doing this now. We're not going to wait. How many, how many years does Helton have left on his contract? One more? Or what does he have? What did he have left? I, I think he had one or two. Okay. So it's, yeah. and he's not making a ton of money at USC. So it's not going to be a, you know, it's not like it's a ten million dollar a year. Ten million, I think. Ten million was the total uh, okay. he's owed. Okay, which is a significant amount, but in in the world of Los Angeles, that's not that somebody writes that check, an alumnus, the booster. That's that's not a big check for USC to write. And donations to the athletic department have steadily declined. So you know, the 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 price, the cost of keeping Clay Alton was bigger than the cost of firing him. Absolutely. No doubt. Dante Williams named the interim coach who is, I know he's obviously on the staff. What is, what is his background? What, what position coach is he? What is his, what is his role within in the USC program? So he, his tech, his technical title was associate head coach. He was basically the lead recruiter. Okay. Now that That's his thing. He was, he's one of the top two recruiters in the PAC 12. Like he got Corey Foreman, the number one recruit in the country. He got him and he bagged other elite defensive recruits. Now USC's struggled to get offensive recruits. And, you know, it's interesting that a lot of uh, top quarterbacks on top teams, they come from USC's backyard, CJ Stroud of Ohio state, DJ Uyagalele of Clemson, Bryce Young was a USC commit, but then he, decommitted and then he went to Alabama yep. JT Daniels of Georgia is a transfer from USC right so USC's not has not been able to retain top quarterbacks and, and top offensive talent but on the defensive side of the ball Dante Williams has been the closer uh, he has gotten the job done in terms of bringing in elite defensive talent to USC um, one of Mario Cristobal's assistants at Oregon joins Williams as one of the top two uh, recruiters in the Pac-12, so um, that that's that is why Williams is being uh, given the interim job. The other reason he's being given the interim job is that Todd Orlando was really the other obvious choice as interim coach. But after the way the defense played yeah. against Stanford, right. got absolutely shredded. No, so you put in the lead recruiter. Uh, it, it made all the sense in the world. We discussed this on Trojans Wire early on Monday. Interestingly enough. And sure enough, that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and Dante Williams is not getting this job. and They're going to go outside and, and hire somebody. Now, he could be potentially retained on the staff as that recruiter, but he's not getting this head coaching job, correct? Absolutely. I think the highest that Dante Williams can do, if you know, if he auditions well, yeah. I think the highest he could do is defensive coordinator. Now, I would not bet on that. Right. But that is the highest he could go if he hits it out of the park. 
And, right. and the other thing is, if he wants a head coaching job elsewhere, like this is his audition for that. Whatever Dante Williams wants in his career, he's auditioning for it. That's basically what it, what it comes down to. But if he wants to be head coach at USC, like he, he'll be denied that. But like anything below that and if, that he's looking for, that he's auditioning for it. That ain't, yeah. I, yeah, they're not, they're not as yeah. much as turmoil as USC has been in the last 10 years. They're not hiring Dante Williams, even if he has a good run as the head coach, yeah. I don't think. That's right. Coordinators right. as high as he can go. Let's, 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 look, let's look at the candidates list. In your opinion, give me three or four names that are on that list. Well, you know, so when we go through a head coaching search, you know, we, do, we have to divide it into various tiers. Like, there are the guys you have to call, even though they're likely to say no. There's like your realistic top list, like the candidates you think are most likely to be available and will say yes. Right. And then there are the outside the box creative candidates whom you need to have in mind if, if your realistic list of candidates says no right. so let's start with the guys you have to call you have to call chris peterson that's what he's I was, he was on my list. you have to call him i don't think he takes it but you have to call him bob stoops very similar chris peterson and bob stoops you know they both got out of coaching well before you know they got they became old men and i think they both tired of the grind i think they both are enjoying life away from the pressure mm -hmm. of coaching mm -hmm. yep i think they're both done but you have to call them. You have to see if they want back in. And if they're, you know, to use the familiar phrase, tanned, rested, and ready, you have to at least ask if they want back in. Uh, another coach who's not really been mentioned in terms of by, you know, insiders such as Bruce Feldman or other people who follow USC program, but just my personal view, you have to call Gary Patterson of TCU. Let's remember, he won a Rose Bowl at TCU. He's had multiple undefeated regular seasons yeah. at TCU you know, an elite defensive coach. And, you know, so he's in his early sixties, I believe he's 62. So he has it in him. If he wants to make one more run, right. Maybe he wants to scratch that itch. I think you have to call him uh, in addition to Chris Peterson and Bob Stoops. And then you get into the realistic list of candidates. And I think at the top, it's Luke Fickle of Cincinnati and Matt Campbell of, of Iowa State. I think those, you know, they're relatively, relatively young coaches, but they, you know, USC has had a problem in the past, Jason, with being really obsessed with style. You know, what kind, what style of play do we have? And of course, right now you have the air raid and, and a lot of USC fans don't like that style of play. And with, with, with considerable reason, because you don't need to do a gimmick offense. If you're USC, you should be able to do a straightforward offense, but really that is all secondary. Like if, if, if Clay Helton was the best air raid coach of all time, we wouldn't, he would, he would be on the job, but right. he's not competent. So it's not that the fact that USC has the air raid as much as people dislike it. It's just that Clay Helton isn't competent. And, you know, he, he hired Graham Harrell as offensive coordinator they're just not getting results. Keaton Slovis is regressing as a quarterback. Just doesn't look good. He's physically healthy this year, unlike last year when he had shoulder problems. But you're not seeing his level of play improve. So that's Clay Helton. That's Graham Harrell. So it's just about having competent head coaching uh, that can develop players. Player development has been a disaster under USC. USC is not even in the top 15 in terms of ha having active NFL players. Right active rostered NFL players. And that's a disgrace. USC should always be in the top 10. It should usually be in like the top six or seven. And it's, and it's not even in the top 15. So 
competence matters more than style of play or scheme. It's just about having a coach who knows what the heck he's doing. So, uh, you know, Fickle and Campbell, they yeah. both are extremely competent coaches. And, you know, uh, a Campbell, more of an offensive guy, Fickle, more of a defensive guy. So the thing you have to keep in mind if you're Mike Bone, the USC athletic director is, you know, when you hire a coach who has expertise a little bit more slanted to one side of the ball, boy, you really need to ask them, what is your philosophy yeah. on the other side of the ball? Yeah. Look at, look and look at Washington as an example of this point, Jimmy Lake, great defensive coach. No one questions his defensive acumen, but he had this idea that, you know, I can hire a mediocre offensive coordinator that no one else was bidding for in the marketplace on the coaching carousel, John Donovan, no one else wanted him, right? But he went out and got him. So why did Washington's athletic director, Jen Cohen, not drill deeper for Jimmy with Jimmy Lake on, okay, you're a great defensive coach. I know this, what's your offensive philosophy? She obviously didn't ask the right questions. She obviously didn't ask enough questions. You have to know when you hire a coach, even if you're promoting from within as Washington did, you have to know what that coach's philosophy is on the opposite side of the ball, the side of the ball he doesn't focus on. So you know that that is something that with Fickle and Campbell, Mike Bone's going to have to look at the other side of the ball, make sure those guys have a good plan. And then the other realistic candidates, uh, candidates that have been mentioned uh, in various articles and on tweets by insiders, James Franklin of Penn State, you know, might want to go to sunny Southern California might be sick and tired of losing to Ohio State every year. Right. right. You know, he, he could be he could rule the roost uh, out in the West. And you know, his recruiting chops are obviously unquestioned. He's he's elite in that category. So he might want to scratch that itch and go out west. Uh, other candidates, uh, you, you, Mario Cristobal has been mentioned. I can't imagine, though, that he'd want to leave Oregon for USC. I mean, he's building a special Pac-12 program, just beat mm -hmm. Ohio State. I mean, he's putting it all together at Oregon. I'll give maybe you a name. Ask him, maybe you ask him, but I don't think he'd leave. But, I mean, he's been he'd been mentioned in the conversation. Would there be any chance that Chip Kelly goes across town if he has a big year at UCLA because of the resources at USC compared to UCLA? Well, given that he's already coached at Oregon and, and he, you know, uh, Oregon and USC didn't develop really a fierce rivalry while he was head coach there, but they did, ha they did have a – a, a really good compelling game in 2011 right. when USC was ineligible for the Pac-12 title game. They would have met in the Pac-12 title game if USC hadn't been under the NCAA sanctions that year. I can't imagine Chip Kelly wanting to be USC after, after years of coaching against USC, right. uh, but you know, for two of USC's primary rivals, you know, the obvious rival UCLA, but then also a rival in terms of being a chief competitor for Pac-12 supremacy, sure. uh, I, that just doesn't strike me. But, um, you know, uh, in terms of other realistic candidates. Um, is there an NFL guy out? Is there an NFL guy with USC roots? Uh, yeah, well, you know, the, I, I, of, of those guys, I mean, they're they're pretty stale bread. Jack Del Rio. Uh, Jack Del Rio. Rio. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Fisher. You know, that, that the, the, I think those ships have definitely – Sailed. Uh, sailed yeah so i don't i don't think it's going to be nfl and you know urban meyer it, yeah. it's, it's his first year and he's no coaching way. trevor lawrence and you know people mention you know bobby petrino going to the atlanta falcons in the middle of his first year that hey 
there's only one Bobby Petrino in this universe. Right. Thank God. Right. You know, right. Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer might have a lot of problems, but he's not the, you know, the second coming of Bobby uh, Petrino. So we, we really shouldn't go down that rabbit hole. I mean, I the speculation is going to be there, um, but, uh, uh, but that's a I'm good... not taking that as a serious possibility. The one, so, the, the one good thing about USC getting out in front of this is they can get through all the, the Bob Stoopses and the Chris Peterson's interest level now that if they're not interested, when they get six weeks down the road, they can really start going behind the scenes to see if Matt Campbell will come, if Luke Fickle will come, because they're not going to wait. That You want to be, if you're USC, you want to have a coach in place as soon as that coach's season's over at his other school. Absolutely. No question about it. And so Bone, you know, I'm sure he has his list. He's going to move decisively. Just want to mention a few other candidates. You know, if USC does want to poach a coach from Oregon, rather than Mario Cristobal, I think Joe Moorhead with his display against Ohio State, completely undressing the Buckeyes defense. Right. And, you know, doing it with a quarterback. You know, Anthony Brown, he completed under 50% of his passes. So, you know, imagine asking yourself, or imagine telling yourself rather, okay, Oregon's going to go into Columbus. Its quarterback is going to throw <laughs> under 50% completions. What would you think the score would have been? Right. What would you think the final rushing yard total for Oregon would have been? I mean, Oregon rushed the ball, even though its quarterback wasn't accurate. Oregon yeah. scored 35 points, even though its quarterback wasn't a- accurate. And Oregon took no shots down the field. Like, I think the longest pass was like a 20-yard play so Oregon had this very limited passing game and it didn't matter and that that shows just how good Joe Moorhead is as an offensive coordinator you know he developed Saquon Barkley and, and Tracy at Penn State so like this this guy has the magic touch and so you give him the the talent that USC can bring in and here here's the other thing you take him away from Mario Cristobal so you attain that plus in the same uh, in the same move, so he and uh, Tony Elliott, the uh, offensive coordinator for Clemson, Clemson yeah, also PJ Fleck. Those, that those could are be a guy. That could be a sleeper guy. There, that could be yeah. a sleeper. Those are some other what I call what I consider realistic candidates. That Absolutely, can, that coaches who might say yes if P- offered. PJ um, Fleck would that list. PJ Fleck would run to the airport if USC came a calling. I mean. All those guys would, for the most part, but a guy like PJ Fleck, because you can't win big time long term in Minnesota. Where at USC, he can, with his spirit, his culture building, and all that that he's done in Minnesota, he could be a sleeper if a Matt Campbell or a Fickle say no or go elsewhere. That's a name to be. I think that's a name to be definitely look keeping an eye on. It's PJ. Maybe even a guy like, I don't think he would do this, but maybe even a guy like Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. You know, he's been there for a long time. You know, a lot of the NFL teams are interested in him. He's a great program builder. You know, maybe a guy like that, too, if, if, if they get to the fifth or sixth candidate. Yeah, I mean, he, he could be in, under consideration. I mean, USC would certainly have a great defense yep. if he came out there. But, you know, you, you at USC, like you, you have elite quarterback talent in your right. backyard. Would an elite quarterback, high school Offensive quarterback, want to play for Pat Fitzgerald? Right. So, like, that is the hurdle he would have to, to overcome, and it's a pretty big one. I agree. No, I agree. All right, let's get to let's get to Oregon. One point I was going to make on Oregon is as we Oregon went to Columbus. Nobody in the country thought they were going to win that game. When Thibodeau's out, Justin Flo is out. They're two big guys on defense. They go in there, 
and give Mario Cristobal credit. He is transforming that Oregon program into a power running game, kind of an Alabama of the West Coast. That's what he wants to do. They've done a great job the last couple of years of transitioning to more of a power running game. Like you mentioned, they don't have an elite quarterback throwing the ball. They ran the ball right down you at Ohio State's throat. Yeah, it's remarkable that, you know, Joe Moorhead came in as offensive coordinator the year after Justin Herbert left. And I just I just shudder to think, what if Moorhead and Herbert had just one year together? That would have been really scary for the rest of the Pac-12 right. and college football. But as it is, I mean, Joe Moorhead makes chicken salad out of out of chicken scraps. Yep. Uh, that, that's what he's done with, with this offense. I mean, you know, if you're Ohio State, like there was no downfield passing threat for Oregon. So right. you should be loading the tackle box. You should be able to, you know, shut shut down what Oregon's doing in the running game. And yet it was just child's play. And it was always going to the left side, a short side boundary play. Right. And, you know, pass the passes were just often just sw- simple swing passes. And I was Ohio State could not figure it out. It was, it was just amazing to see how that happened. So, you know, Joe Moorhead, when he at Penn State, you know, that was a very high powered offense. Of course, you remember that they lost that Rose Bowl to USC. Yep. That was a 52-49 game. It was, right. you know, it was modern era football, you know, with elite offenses, you know, spreading the field, opening, opening up the playbook. So Joe Moorhead's a very aggressive offensive coach. Mario Cristobal is a very conservative coach. You know, he would, he's kind of like a, a Western Kirby smart, or maybe not a Western. I say Western because he's at Oregon, yeah. obviously from South Florida. So, right. you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, 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 a Cuban. Power uh, football. He's a, he likes power football. Kirby smart. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but he, you know, he, he would just love just to run the ball up your gut all he's day. Off, and he's an offensive line coach. Yeah. So he'd just love to win a 17, 10 slug fest. Right. in the trenches and call it a day. So like Crystal Ball and Moorhead, they're different personalities with different approaches. And yet they found a way to work together. And it's kind of interesting that if maybe the fact that Oregon's limited at quarterback, it actually plays into the, the Crystal Ball and Moorhead working well together. Right. Right. If Oregon had a, a better quarterback, Moorhead would probably want to, you know, Swing it around all his toys yes exactly and that would deviate from Cristobal's vision but in this circumstance like they're they're really on the same page and uh you know I I didn't think in a million years that Oregon would be able to score 35 and I know that Oregon was without Kayvon Thibodeau but I thought that scoring was going to be Oregon's main problem in this game and it wasn't I mean Oregon had Oregon had 35 early in the in the fourth quarter you know got a little too conservative late and of course Ohio State then, you know, found the level of urgency in terms of stopping the run that it didn't have earlier in the game. But nevertheless, for Oregon to score that many points with that kind of passing game, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing feat. And, and it really just worked right into Mario Cristobal's system. So now the thing, the challenge for Cristobal, he usually slips on the banana peel at least once. You, know, you yeah. recall the Arizona State loss late in the 2019 season when Oregon had a real shot at the college football playoff, Oregon usually loses one of those games. So um, we'll, we'll see if the Ducks can, you know, stay the course. And if they do, I mean, that obviously lifts Mario Cristobal to a much higher tier in the conversation. Obviously, he has already enhanced his national profile with this game against Ohio State. But now comes the task of sustaining. And uh, and let's let's say this about the Pac-12. 
right? I mean, things can change and things generally do change. The biggest generally evolve over the course of the season. But right now it's Oregon, UCLA, and 10 not very good football teams. You know, the, 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 I was going to say, it's, been the, it's probably been the two biggest weekends in the Pac-12 hit in the last 15 years with UCLA beating LSU and then Oregon going on the road and beating Ohio State. Huge two weeks for the Pac-12 conference. Absolutely. And, I, and, and, and so the path for Oregon and UCLA, and by the way, they do play in a yes. cross-division game later this year. So that could be for the playoff berth. Right. But, um, you know, when you in week one, the North lost five games, uh, the, the, a six team division. It went one in five. Oregon was the only team that won yep. and it barely beat Fresno State. So you're thinking, you know, so the North isn't very good. And then in week two, the Pac-12 South took it on the chin with USC losing, with Utah losing. Arizona State doesn't look very good at all. That was a close game against UNLV for two and a half quarters. Right. And that's a terrible UNLV team. So right. Arizona State couldn't shake UNLV until late in the third quarter. Um, uh, you well, know, Colorado it's, it's scored set just up for the showdown. Points. It's set up for the showdown UCLA Oregon. That's right. And so you know, the, just if Oregon beats UCLA, I mean, the Pac-12 might be weak enough that paradoxically it helps Oregon because Oregon yeah. might not get ambushed by any of the other non-UCLA teams in the Pac-12. I mean, so right now, right now, if you told me today, will Oregon make the playoff? Right now, Great yes. Shot. Great I, shot. All lined up for them. Absolutely. No, I mean, and, and this is what the UCLA, I mean, the Pac-12 wants. They want some opportunity, and this is their chance with both. Really, and you hate you, Oregon or UCLA. I mean, if one of those two teams run the table, they're in. They're no going to make it. Because you already have Ohio State and Clemson with losses. Uh, and, you know, Notre Dame not looking yep. good. Yeah, so, they're in. It's all, yep, they are in if they go unbeaten, no question. And they probably still have a good chance if they go 12 and one and win the conference yep. championship. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. Last comment. I'll get you out of here. I know you're a big tennis guy. Give me some thoughts on uh, Novak Djokovic. Went all the way to the last match of, to win the Grand Slam. Medvedev knocks him out. Was it a fatigue factor, in your opinion? Was it the, a stress factor of the whole Grand Slam accumulation of the year? What are your thoughts on just on the on the match Medvedev and and Medvedev's a hell of a player, so don't give him full credit. But your thoughts on Djokovic not finishing the Grand Slam? Yeah, I think fatigue was the main thing. First off, we need to remember that two weeks after Wimbledon, we had the Olympics. Right, that's a really short turnaround, especially if you're flying halfway around the world from Europe to Tokyo. And Djokovic wilted in the in the miserable heat, but I mean he put his body through a lot this year. And, and remember this year, there was just two weeks between Roland Garros, the French open and Wimbledon. Usually right. there's three. Right. So Djokovic had to play Roland Garros and Wimbledon in a very compressed amount of time. And then he went to Tokyo in another compressed amount of time. So after, by choosing to play Tokyo, you know, he could have said he could have pulled out, but he wanted to get that elusive Olympic gold medal, which he's never had. Right. And so, you know, when he went to Tokyo, he basically, punted on the lead-up events to the U.S. Open, Canada, and then Cincinnati. Right. So Djokovic went three weeks, or really three and a half weeks, without picking up a racket, uh, you know, in a live match. Right. And so he went to the U.S. Open without, you know, that that usually the week in Cincinnati, that's, uh, you know, the, it ends one tune week. Up. That's his tune-up week. Begins. Yeah, so Djokovic was not a fine-tuned player because he had he had to take those three weeks off 
to rest. And so that that messed with his preparation. He's never entered the U.S. Open with that kind of with that lack of match play. And so that lack of match play led to him being very up and down. And that caused him to lose a lot of sets. He lost us one set in the fourth round, yeah. one set in the quarters, two sets in the semis against Zverev. And right. so all of those lost sets and those longer matches, yes, they definitely created a player who is not very fresh in the final. We've said this about all of the big three, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, in each of their primes, the secret of their success at majors, why they all have 20 major titles, one of the central components is that they move so easily through the first four rounds of the tournament. They don't right. get into many five setters or long four setters. You know, they win those matches in straights so that when they get into the later stages, the semis and the final, and they have to play each other, they're ready to go five. They're ready to play four and a half hours. Gotcha. And, and Djokovic did not follow that formula. He usually does, but he didn't follow at the U.S. Open. And then Medvedev, who was not tested very much in his first six matches, had a really good draw, you right. know, playing Felix Oje Aliasim in the semis. I mean, that that is a, an incredible draw. You know, he didn't have to play Sitsipas, didn't have to play Zverev. Of right. course, Dominic Team and Stan Vavrenka, Federer, Nadal wow. were all out. So Medvedev had a smooth path, and he was the guy who was moving efficiently through matches. So he was obviously the fitter, fresher player, yep. served big when he absolutely had to. So he took it away from Djokovic. It was, I mean, I was, I regarded Djokovic as the favorite because, well, hey, he sure. won 27 out of 27 matches at major tournaments, was one match away from the Grand Slam. I expected Djokovic to win, but the, the seeds were certainly planted for Medvedev to pounce on an opportunity if it presented itself, and he took full advantage of it. That's what happened. No, you're right. You, those are great points about the court time, especially, I mean, he lost at least two or three first sets in these matches leading into the into the final where he was down a set, had to expend more energy, stay out there longer. You know, again, it's again, he's in good shape, but still met. And I think the mental toll of the whole season wore on him as well as the physical toll of the pressure of winning the Grand Slam and all that stuff. And, and, and you know, I think it was just, it was a cumulative effect. Great for the city and the fans of New York. All the emotion they gave, I mean, Djokovic, you could tell it affected him yesterday. He really appreciated that the love that they were trying to get him to get him over the finish line in New York City would have been a cool moment. So, but uh, he's, he's still, I mean, again, many people think he's still going to be the greatest of all time when it's all said and done as far as number of majors that he's going to win and all that stuff. Looks like Federer is in real, real tough shape with his knee surgery and Nadal. You never know what Nadal is going to do, but great insight there. All right, tell everybody where they can find you and get all your up. You're going to be covering this USC story as every day. So talk, tell us where they can find you and get all the updates. Yeah, so Trojans Wire on Twitter and trojanswire.usatoday.com on the web. So complete coverage of the coaching carousel at USC, just as we where we had uh, Clay Helton hot seat coverage. It didn't last nearly as long as we thought. <laughs> But we did cover the heck out of that all day Sunday and into early Monday morning. So just, hey, you want to get the inside angle at USC and on this coaching situation, you want to come to Trojans Wire. Absolutely. Tell your friends. If you want a good inside read, we're going to cover the heck out of this. We're going we're gonna to analyze dozens of coaching candidates. Like we're not, we're not going to just stop it at like three or five. We're going to look at dozens of candidates so that you get a complete picture of what's going on.
Well, Matt does a great job, man. I definitely, definitely tune into Matt and his, uh, his coverage of, the, of this story. We, again, probably his first, uh, he, this is breaking within a couple of hours of us, uh, of, of us taping this. So, and this was, he did a great job coming on. He always is available for us at the Powers on Sports podcast. I very much appreciate it, Matt. Keep up the great work. And we'll be definitely in touch here as we, once we get a decision where, where USC is going to go. It's great to have a Powers on Sports breaking news podcast. Right. You don't get that all the time. Absolutely. And we're going to, and we're going to post this on the Powers on Sports YouTube channel tonight, Monday night. So you'll be able to see this interview Monday night for those of you in the YouTube world. So have a great week, Matt. Keep up the great work, my man. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. Always great to come on. All right. We'll be right back with, our interview with Lynette McNair. Thanks for tuning into the Powers on Sports podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Before we get back to the episode, want to mention Titan Home Lending. If you have any home financing needs in the state of Florida, reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. I can help you with a home purchase, with a refinance, with a cash out refinance, with a renovation loan, a VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan, and virtually anything in between relative to home financing. So reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. You can reach me on email at jpowers at titanhl.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. Very, very honored and pleasured to continue our, start our Life of the Wife series. We're going to be talking to some ladies around the country that are wives of uh, professional coaches, and we're going to do a series on those ladies and their accomplishments and their, and their journey through the coaching world throughout the football season. And I'm very uh, proud and pleasured to have Lynette McNair. Lynette is the wife of Todd McNair, who's the running backs coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, so we're going to talk to Lynette about her journey through uh, the coaching world, uh, her, her journey with Todd throughout life and all that stuff. And just uh, awesome and things that uh, are very important to Lynette uh, that she's been involved with and uh, just get, get a feel for Lynette and all the things that go into making Lynette and the McNairs, the McNair family. So welcome to the podcast, Lynette. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That great. Great. All right. First question I'm going to ask you. You may not know the answer to this, but I bet you do. How many okay. times have you moved? Um, coaching. Yes. Yeah, okay. Twice. Just twice. Okay. I, yes. At Cleveland Browns and then LA for, for USC. Okay. When he got the job in Tampa, I decided the kids are still in school. I'm going to stay in Tampa. I mean, I'm going to stay in LA. Okay. We just travel back and forth. I got you. I got you. What part of the, where, where did you, where are you from originally? I'm from South Jersey. South Jersey. Okay. Is Now, did you meet, I know Todd, Todd went to Temple and played for Coach Arians at Temple. Is that where you met Todd at? I met Todd in South Jersey. I was actually, we were actually introduced by Kevin Ross. Okay. Um, who, who, for those of you that don't know, Kevin is the defensive backs coach for the Buccaneers. Now he, he was a longtime player in the league for Kansas city. And I know Todd played in Kansas city. That's, so that's probably where they met. So 
continue. Yes, and Kevin and I grew up in the same town. Okay. And um, Todd and Kevin were, I believe they, it was off season, they had just gotten town. And I uh, was outside and uh, Todd said uh, to Kevin, whose wife is that? <laughs> and Kevin <laughs> said, nobody's, you wanna meet her? And so here we are <laughs> 30 years later. <laughs> that's all, that's great, that's great, that's great. So, all right, so you met Todd as he, as he was in starting his NFL career. Um, mm -hmm. Todd played eight years for the Kansas City Chiefs, the Houston Oilers and such. I wanna ask you before we get to all the other good stuff, Interesting how you kind of come full circle. When Todd was in the league, Joe Montana, who was the all-time greatest of the time, kind of changed teams and went to play for Kansas City with Todd. And now you're now you on the coaching end are kind of in a similar circumstance with Tom Brady coming to town. Just what is that if, for you as the as an outsider? Kind of what is that like for you? It it well. Todd was like, I don't think that you understand. This is Joe Montana. Like, this is Joe Montana. And I'm like, um, I get it. Like, I, I, I get it. And then now in the same situation with Tom Brady was like, wait a minute, Todd, did I just see we got Tom Brady? What is going on? We're, we're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's crazy how, how all those, yeah, all those, just, you talk to everybody, just how he's such a, just a, he changes everybody's, approach and everybody's work ethic and everybody's attention to detail whether it's co probably coaching too I'm yeah. sure I'm sure the pressure that he puts on coach Arians and all the offensive coaches and and then obviously Todd has to then put the pressure on the players and it, it just trickles through the building and you know and trickles through every everybody's way of life I'm sure to some degree yeah very cool all right so I want to ask you something now, you and I are recording this on 9-11, so I want to get your kind of perspective. Where were you at kind of during 9-11 and when all that stuff happens? I was actually, we were in Cleveland, and I was in the gym on the treadmill. And uh, the news, it, it already showed the first plane hit, and as I'm watching live, the second plane hit. And I just immediately called Todd, like, what what should I do? What's going on? And he was like, go get the kids from school and I'll call you back. Right. It was, we, I thought it was a movie. I, I didn't think it was real. I'm like, is this, I don't know what to do. It was like a paralyzing feeling like, and it was just sad and so surreal, like just to watch it live. Right. It was crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Craig. I know obviously back then, you know, you still had some probably younger children and all that stuff and just, you know, um, the NFL just chose not to play that Sunday. They canceled the games that Sunday. And, you know, there was a lot of spec, you know, a lot of talk about should they cancel? Should they not cancel? I think they made the right decision in canceling because people don't remember back when John F. Kennedy got assassinated back in the early sixties, they ended up playing that Sunday um, in the NFL, but, but, but the NFL in, in 2001 decided not to play. Just what was that, that from a, I guess being was Todd, I mean, was, how, how was what was Todd's thoughts and all that stuff just that whole knowing they're not gonna play and all the everything's basically shutting down for a period of time I think Todd went into like family survival mode right. let's let's figure out what's going on let's be safe I don't think anybody was thinking about football that week right right um, and I know it, obviously it, you being from New Jersey that's pretty close to obviously all that's pretty close you probably knew people that knew people that were probably in and around that area 
Um, actually, my my uncle's sister-in-law, her husband was at the Pentagon, wow. and he um, unfortunately didn't get out. Man, I'm sorry. Sorry um, to hear that. I'm sorry. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, I know yeah, that's crazy. That's, that's just, it's, it's, it's just, just more than anything, you just want to honor these people that have given up the ultimate, like you said, you've sacrificed and, you know, they were just trying to live their life and do their job that particular day and, and, and all the terrible things that happened. So just everybody hopefully will take a moment. And obviously it's, when this is released, it will be after 9-11, but just take a moment and honor those people and everybody, all the families that were affected by this because yes. it's a lifelong thing that, that all this happens. So, yes. all right, talk to me about, so Todd, you and Todd have kind of had the journey together. I've been over 30 years when Todd's career ended and he, he kind of made the decision, I think he, that he wanted to coach. What were your thoughts on that when he kind of made that decision after playing in the league for eight years? How much time was there? Was there a big gap between when he retired and when he started coaching? I want to say three years. It was a three year, maybe a three year gap. And I was like, please go. Thank God. <laughs> Just go. I, I thought I, I thought it was a great opportunity and it was just in him and he he needed to do it. He was already coaching um, high school inner city in uh, uh, Camden, New Jersey. Okay. And um, I just I thought Cleveland Browns when he got the call to go and I just I thought that was a great opportunity for him. And it was just um, something that I, he was just destined to do because but I think he's doing a good job <laughs> very cool very cool so you guys have moved you've probably been fortunate relative to most people that you haven't had to move a whole lot you yeah. know I know a lot of people you know you talk to some coaches wives or families they're moving every every couple of years yes. so um so you got you guys lived how long were you in Cleveland for we were in Cleveland for three years okay and then you lived, you stayed there. And then obviously he's probably moved at a couple different jobs since he, no, no, right after Cleveland, we went to USC. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Right after Cleveland, we went to USC and I decided that this is where I'm going to stay and I will visit you wherever you go. <laughs> <laughs> How did you decide LA was the place for you? Um, I, the weather. Yeah. Um, I, I connected with, I met some of, some really good friends. I met a lot of great people. My kids, um, you know, have really good friends there. It's like they spent most of their childhood in, um, California. So I, I just, I couldn't tear them away. And, you know, that was my excuse to, to Todd. Yeah. Oh, the kids. <laughs> Can't do that to the kids. How, how many children do you have? We have four. Okay. All mm -hmm. right. And so you still, sounds like you still have one in the house. Uh, one in the house. He is 14. Okay. Is he a football player? Yes, he is. All right. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Very cool. So Todd goes to USC. You guys have a ton of success out at USC. You know, people remember the Reggie Bush time, the Matt Leinart time, all those great players that came through USC. And I'm sure Todd was, very instrumental in recruiting some of those guys and th those kind of things. Talk to us about the, 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 the fun and joy of being a part of a winning program like that. 
you know, from a coaching, from a wife's perspective, just when you know you're always winning and it's things are going great most all the time. That was an amazing ride. Um, it was like, it was like him coaching in the NFL. Um, USC was like top class, everything. Um, and just to like, I, we, it was such a winning squad. It was like, when, when we, when we did lose, it was like this, this, this isn't real. <laughs> um, we had some great, great times at, at, um, at USC. I, they were busy a lot. Right. Um, so I, in college, I felt like, um, he was away more, um, more so, you know, than the NFL days, days were longer, definitely. So, um, but other than that, it was an amazing journey, amazing journey. Because remember, folks, in the college world, Todd was out recruiting a ton, too, because it's even yes. when the season's over, you're, you're out recruiting and traveling around and going to see the high school kids and all that stuff, and which obviously requires you to not be in Los Angeles, whereas the NFL, there's not nearly as much of that that goes on in the offseason. Everybody comes to the particular team for a free agency and things like that, so Tired, you know, the coaches nowadays, they can stay where they need to stay. And the, and, the, and the players typically come to interview them in the NFL at their facility and see the town and all that stuff. So it's, a, it's kind of a different. So talk to me about how, as you and Todd were going through that in the college level, what were some things that you and Todd would make out for your time for yourself? How would you guys, when he was on the road or whatever, how would you guys connect just to try to keep the, you know, the husband and wife connection and all that stuff together. What were things you guys like to do away from football? Well, we would overdose on Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> our, our, our connection has always been been watching great series. That's, that's what we do. Been watching, watching um, uh, 24, um, just a, a bunch of different shows and then catching up on, um, you know, when he's free, he would, um, our girls were like in, in dance. So we were just all over LA um, going to their different dance competitions. Cause at that time our son was little. So I was dragging him everywhere before he was able to start football. Um, so yeah, that's what, that was our little let's rest. Let's, let's just lay here all day. And I know you're tired, I understand it. So I'm not gonna make, drag you out anywhere. Right. And let's just chill. And we, we both enjoy the same thing. And let's just do that. Very cool. Very cool. Do you guys like to vacation as a family? Where do you guys like, where'd you guys like to go when you when going as a family vacation, stuff like that? You know, we just always, we're very much into our families. So we just like to just go back to New Jersey and just hang out, you know, um, with our fa my family, his family, we're all, all of our families are in New Jersey and, um, and just do different things during the day in New Jersey, go to the beach, maybe go camping yep. or something like that. But that's, that's our perfect vacation. That's Todd from New Jersey as well. Yep. Okay. Yep. He's from Pensalkin, 20 okay. minutes away from me. Yeah, there you go. Small world. Mm -hmm. Small world, small For world. Sure. Yep. Um, and again, and again, remember, folks in the audience, when, when, when USC was rocking, there was not an NFL team in Los Angeles. So they were the, you, you know, USC and UCLA were the only football games in town. 
and USC guys were rock stars. I mean, they were rock stars. They were yes. competing with the Lakers, with Shaq and Kobe and all those yes. guys. So, I mean, they were as big as anybody in, 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 the, in the sports world back when, when Reggie Bush and Leinert and Pete Carroll were running the show out in college, with college football. So, um, so talk to me about a national championship game. How does that differ from a Super Bowl experience in a national championship game? It felt the same. The national championship, it was, that was a, a, an experience that I've never experienced before. And it just, I, I was like, this, is this what the Super Bowl feels like, <laughs> you know? And then when we went to the Super Bowl and I'm looking at the kids and I'm like, are we really here? Is this, is this real? Right. It, and it literally, it felt like the national championship. It did because I'll tell you, USC was like a, um, USC was like they were a dynasty a NFL team. Yeah, so right. it just yeah. Um, the Super Bowl was just I I I still have no words because I I still cannot believe that we were there. Hold that well, thought. I, that I was there. Yeah, I'm gonna get to the Super Bowl in a second. So you guys were involved at USC and probably one of the greatest college football games of all time in the game that USC lost when Texas Vince Young in Texas won the yeah. dramatic game against USC for the national championship win or lose just how cool is it to be involved in a game like that or even though your team you, you know they lost and Todd lost just being a part of that atmosphere I've met the celebrities and just the 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 euphoria was probably unbelievable in the Rose Bowl it was, but that was also a sad, sad day. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> that was a sad, sad day. I, I was, I was so confident that we're, oh, we're gonna win again, and yeah. then we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and then we didn't. But um, it, it was still, and it was, it was an amazing ride, just to, just to get to that level. Um, uh. It, the, the, the stadium, the Rose Bowl, it's, it's such, it's a lot of history there. Right. Um, and the, the people in LA really come out and support, like the Rose Bowl is really a big deal. The parade, everything. Right. Um, and I've never, I, you know, that was my first time. And I just was like, this is, this is different. This is, this is an event. It's an event. Yeah. It, it was a, a real big deal. <laughs> all right. So talk. All right. So, so Todd, Todd and coach Arians, obviously Todd played for Bruce Arians at Temple. So that's kind of where that connection started. What did mm -hmm. you think when, when coach Arians decided he was going to come out of retirement and I'm sure he called Todd and said, we're getting the band back together. You're going to come to Tampa, right? Yes. How did how, what what were your thoughts when 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 kind of that happened and you know were you excited for Todd and coming back to Tampa and Coach Arians? I was so excited. I I was so excited. And I was excited for Todd because I knew that he was you know eager and and ready to get back in, get back you know in the saddle and just do what he loves to do. And it was I I I, I can't say enough about. BA. I, I can't. I he is man, that guy. I I he brings me to tears just 
talking about him. He's such a great guy. Um, his he has a beautiful family. That I just you know he's just a rare breed. I he yes. I don't want to get emotional, but nah, he, okay, I, I get he it. Is, and I keep saying I keep using the word amazing, but he is. He's an amazing person. And one thing about Coach Arians, again, I know people around the, that are fans of the Buccaneers and are coaching. He's done. He's done so much for African American coaches, for women. I mean, he's he's brought in yes. women coaches to his staff. So he's he's been so instrumental yes. in diversity amongst his staff yes. and in the organization. Whereas that's not been always the case around the NFL and even college football to some degree. So Coach Arians, forget the coaching part, just the yes. stuff that he's done. For giving yes. opportunities to people throughout the coaching world, forget yes. the play, the, him being an X's and O coach, what he's done for people's careers and people's livelihoods and things like that, 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 that get overlooked sometimes. Right. Because for him, it, it wasn't about statistics. It wasn't about um, making, you know, making itself look good or, Oh, uh, let me do the politically correct thing. It was straight from the heart he's always shooting straight from the heart and and you can see it and you can feel it right. um and he's going to give the best guys the job it doesn't matter you know if you're a male or female white black or chinese you know he's yep and he's loyal yeah. too and he's loyal to his yeah, guys that have been there with him obviously todd's played for him. todd bowles played for him at temple you know, he's got several of his coaches that have been with him at different stops throughout the, his career. So you can tell in Byron left, which has played for him, obviously, uh, as a player. So you, you can tell that he's fiercely loyal. Talk to me about your relationship with Christine. I, I've interviewed Christine, who's Coach Aaron's wife. You know, she's I know she was very complimentary of you. So talk to me about your relationship with Christine. You know, it's like it's like when you see her, you it's you see B.A. She's the the softer side, but also protective side. Um, she's so warm and, you know, I, I, I call her mom. I call VA pops. <laughs> I'm like, when I see, she just lights up a room. It's just something special about that family and her yeah. and just how, you know, they care for others and you can see it in there with the, the charities and, and just to give him back. And I and every time I see her, I just want to hug her and squeeze her, even during COVID. I, you know, it's just she's just a person that I just feel like you can find peace and rest. She just her body just like uh screams, come give me a hug, you know. I know. I, I, um, she's such she's she's a great. Yeah, I, I interviewed about three or four months ago for the podcast, and you could just tell that she exudes that just loving, always wanting to yes. be helpful to other people and all that stuff. And the one time that I met her, yes. All right, so you've been you 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 know, obviously you you've been around other coaches' wives in different stops. How is your kind of just that camaraderie of being a coach's wife on different staffs? How has that kind of developed over the years? You being going from being kind of a younger mom and younger wife in the business to now a different stage of your, you know, you're in Todd's Todd's life about how you try to help other other coaches' wives that are maybe in that don't know what you know yeah. of the experiences. How do you like to share some of those experiences with other ladies or wives or girlfriends of, of other coaches? 
you know, now that it was harder when I was, you know, when, when we were younger, when I was, you know, younger and had little kids. So, I, you know, I didn't have much advice to give to anybody at that point, you know, dragging a bunch of kids to, you know, an NFL game and basically being a, a single mom for right. the most part, you know, I was out of kind of out of sorts, kind of. Right. Um, and, you know, some of the, the older wives would kind of help me at the games. Here, here, Lynette, let me let me help you with this. I'm going, I'll get the kids some some popcorn, you know. Um, and I just try to, you know, see if I could do that now that I'm, I'm older and I kind of got the system down. But like my only advice to, um, you know, younger coaches' wives is that, you know, he's, he's at work all day. He wants to come home and rest. And I know you kind of, you know, you want your husband, but your husband's need, your husband need to rest because we need to keep winning. <laughs> <laughs> Even, and, and again, this is the reason I want to do this series is it's not just for professional coaches. Obviously, you, you guys are at the highest level of the NFL. It's the high school wife. It's the guy that's teaching and then he's coaching high school yeah. football or basketball, or whatever, or the kid, the guy that's coaching his youth football team or is, you know, it's not just professional football where these coaches try to put in a lot of time and they have aspirations of going to college yeah. and maybe going to the NFL sometime, you know, as a coach, just your, your, your advice to the, to the lady in their life saying, Hey, it's a tough life, but there, there's, there can be a balance and there can still be a relationship and a, in a solid marriage and, and all that yeah. good stuff. I would, I would say learn the game. Um, because his, his, his brain's not going to shut off when he comes home. Right. He could be at work all day. Then, you know, Oh, I go coach, um, his son's, uh, pop Warner team, you know, and then come home, but his brain is not going to shut off. He's still thinking about football. Right. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like get in where you fit in kind of situation <laughs> during football season. Right. So it's like, you know, um, learn a game, be patient, enjoy it, and allow him to enjoy it. And everybody, for the most part, will be happy, except if you're losing. <laughs> then nobody's happy. <laughs> so talk, so talk to me about this. Talk to me about Lynette. When you're watching a game, do you live and die every play? I, every every win and loss or are you, are, you, are you able to separate things a little bit especially if you know things aren't going well with the season um with the record wise and obviously that could affect your coaching status sometimes back in the you know that can affect that I, I get that but are you one that lives and dies every play or do you, are you a little more big picture winner how do you handle that you know um a little bit of both okay you know a little bit of both um Especially when it's involved in running backs, right? When it's yes. position yes. guys. Yes, I'm, I'm 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 watching every play. I'm looking at I'm looking at the stiff arms. I'm looking at how they push to get the extra yardage. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm uh, you know I'm I'm into it play by play. But right. also, you know, the bigger picture. I try to calm down. Okay, let's. Okay, now it's Monday. It's let's let's get on to the next game. Okay. Let's focus on the next game. That stung. But let's focus, you know, let's let's see what we're gonna do next week. Do you have to do you have to calm Todd when Todd comes home and he's in a bad mood about something? Do you just let him be in the bad mood or you try to be his psychologist and try to 
Hey, honey, let's think about that. Let's move on to the next one. You know what? I try. And if it's not working, I just leave him alone okay. and pour him a drink. And that's <laughs> it. <laughs> now, were you an athlete growing up? Um, I he's sitting across from me right now. I'm ready to bust out laughing. <laughs> I was a cheerleader, but my, my, um, I have a family full of athletes. Okay. I have cousins that played, uh, football. Um, I have a couple state wrestling champs, um, basketball. Were you a dancer uh, or cheerleader? I was, a, I was a cheerleader. I did All a right. little bit of field hockey, All but right. that's, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There but I go. tell everybody I'm an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good treadmill runner. Right. You get on that I'm treadmill. That yeah. a girl. <laughs> All right, let's talk about last year. Obviously, last year with COVID and all the stuff going on with protocols and coaching, how difficult, even in a family life, was it for you when you did get to see Todd? You had to be, you know, with all the testing and all the concerns about not, you know, people that weren't involved in the league getting, you know, close contacts, positive, you had children still. How difficult was last year with all that stuff going on? It, it was very difficult because um, we had a lot of FaceTime for sure. Right. Um, thank God for FaceTime. Right. Um, Zoom. <laughs> kids are, kids were home, um, remote, remote learning. And we didn't, we didn't come out here last year at all. We just didn't want to take the risk in um, Todd not possibly being able to, you know, uh, right. coach or, or whatever, or get sick. Um, so we, we just kind of, we didn't come out here until the Super Bowl. Okay. Because we just, you know, we wanted to be safe and make sure that Todd was safe and the team was safe and, you know, our family, my kids and sure. everybody that I, you know, come in contact with so that was that was different that 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 didn't that didn't feel good that was like you know uh, it, it, lonely. it gets lonely and it gets tough yeah. for you yeah how in a normal season when you when you've been out in LA and he's been in another city whether it's Cleveland or Tampa how often would you guys would you guys get together in a normal in a normal season if things if things were normal would you come out every couple of weeks? How often would you guys come to, to see each other, you know, for a game day or for a weekend? Um, we, well, we would try to come out um, to all the home games. Okay. So we try to come the year before we were coming to all of the home games. Yep. And um, of course, when they played the Rams, uh, we had, maybe 40 people wow. with us for the Rams yeah. game. Yeah. Um, uh, Todd used to uh, coach my son's Pop Warner team and all of his, you know, players and parents came to the game and we all sat together. It was, it was crazy. Um, so any, if I'll go to like, this year, I will probably go to the Saints game. I have um, a girlfriend, her husband coaches for the Saints that we were at USC together. Okay. Um, I might go to the Atlanta game this year in Atlanta because my best friend lives out there. Um, kill, you know, kind of kill two birds with one yeah. stone type of thing. 
So and the and the Bucks. Good thing is in two weeks the Bucks go play the Rams in L.A. So yes, you're gonna get yeah. another weekend. So that'd be good. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So we get to Super Bowl Sunday in Tampa. First time ever a team's played in their home stadium. Obviously, the stadium's not quite full, but there's about 20, 25,000 in the stadium. Just how excited were you that Sunday? Obviously, with Todd coaching in the game and all that stuff going on. And obviously, about middle of the third quarter, you realize we're kicking their, we're kicking their asses and they're not coming back. How excited did you get that, hey, I'm going to be a world champion? I almost had a heart attack. Okay, I was just trying to figure out how I'm going to get on this field. Like I, I just wanted to jump over all of the the seats and 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 get on the field as quick as I could because I I had anxiety the whole game, the whole day. I had anxiety even getting dressed. I was like, my I, one of my friends uh, flew in town and she was like, I, I think you need to get up and head to you know, the stadium, because you're going to be stuck in traffic. I was like, I, I literally can't move right now. I'm, I'm just that nervous. I can't even get up. Um, but the third quarter, when I just, when I, I, I was in my safe zone, that's when I felt safe. Like, okay, we, we got, got this. We're, we're, it's, it's They're not rack. coming back. They're not you coming know? back. Yeah. But, but it is football. And it's like, don't get too happy until that whistle blows that's right <laughs> the final that's, whistle that's right but um i yeah i i i got had a sense of relief during the third quarter for sure so i know todd gets a super bowl ring and i know i, I was talking to, to christine she says there's potentially you guys get a pendant of some sort is that right yeah yeah well i i ordered my own okay leaving the ceremony i was like you know what this says i can order something right now <laughs> that ring is beautiful that's beautiful that's great that's that's great have you done your have you filmed your uh youtube i'm going to disney world promo no 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 no, no. I, I even asked todd i said do you think i could just get the same exact ring he said he's like uh did you play and i did you play in that game and i was like uh no <laughs> tell him you helped out plenty of you helped out plenty. Of course I did. I'm the I'm the running backs coach. That's the right. assistant running backs coach. That's right. You're breaking down the film. Right. High and tight. Keep that ball right. high and tight. Exactly. Protect <laughs> the ball at all costs. <laughs> all right. Let's so let's talk about away from football. Some of the things that are important to you. What are what are, are do you have any causes, charities, things like that that you that you participate in? that you contribute to that, that just causes that are, that are important to you and the, in the McNair family? Um, the youth has always been important to me. And so Todd and I were heavily involved in, um, um, the Pop Warner organization and, um, you know, certain teams in certain cities don't get, you know, the funding that they need, right. um, for proper uniforms and, uh, proper equipment you know, um, helmets be it needing to be recertified every year just to make sure that they're safe. You know, um, a lot of equipment was um, handed down that just should have been thrown away. Right. Um, we both were on the board um, for that organization until, of course, Todd came to, you know, 
moved to Tampa. So uh, he kind of still, you know, is in touch with everybody just to see what's going on, what's needed, how the kids doing right. and how the kids, you know, um, basically coping with the, you know, distant learning and just all around, you know, not just about football, just about the kids, you know, um, all around how they're feeling. So that's kind of what we're, you know, involved in um, pretty much. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Is that now back in New Jersey? Is that? No, it's, it's actually in um, Pasadena. Okay. Uh, out in LA. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Talk to me about last couple more things. We'll get you out of here. Um, your relationships with other wives around the league. I'm sure you've met lots of different, like you mentioned, you got friends at different teams, all that yes. kind of good stuff. How, how, um, how fun is it to be able to stay in touch with those ladies and those friends of yours that you've met from different places around, whether it's college football or the NFL? You know what? It's, it's a different kind of, it's a different kind of relationship because we all go through the same thing. Like our conversations all sound the same and, you know, um, we, 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 we can relate to one another on so many levels with this, the way that the, the, our husband's crazy coaching lives are. Right. Um, uh, Ken Norton's wife, um, I, I'm still in touch with her. Um, Chris Richard, who just, he's with the Saints now. Right, right. His wife, Chandra. Um, I... Rocky Seto. I don't know. He was USC and then he was with Pete Carroll in um, Seattle In Seattle, his, his wife, Sharla, you know, we have kids that are the same age. So our kids are still in close contact. They right. still hang out when they're in town. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's a sisterhood. That's right. That's <laughs> it's right. what it is. It's a sisterhood, you know, Hey, my daughter just had a baby come to baby shower, you know, um, and it's like, we, we won't see each other for 10 years and then see each other and then pick back up where we left off. That's cool. Um, yeah. That's neat. That's neat. All right. What's the one thing, when, what's the one thing that drives you crazy about Todd when, you, when he's at home, when he's Todd, the husband or Todd, the dad, what's the one thing that you say, Todd, I'm, how many more times I got to tell you, don't do that. Oh, um, clean up after himself. He's messy. <laughs> I, I can, my house is only clean during football season. That's it. He comes up, pick up your shoes, bro. Walk your socks. Come on. <laughs> uh, you ain't going to trip over them. They're socks. Now you're not going to kill yourself. You know, come on. Just put the, the trash is right there. Put the cup in the trash, please. You know, <laughs> that is my pet peeve with him. That's, that's, that's what we go through when he's home. During the off season. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, Lynette, it's been a real pleasure. You did a great job. Thanks for all the stories, all the insights. And, um, you know, keep living that, keep living that life. Bring us, a, I, I don't know, I didn't tell you this, but I've, I grew up in Tampa, so I'm a Tampa guy. So I've been waiting for this day for a long time. There's been a lot, lot of droughts in Tampa on the football um, side of things. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we expect you to, we, we expect Super Bowl number two this year. Obviously, we had a heartbreak. We had a uh, we had a, a down to the wire one in week one against the Cowboys. Yes. Which which again we 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 brought them through. We brought them home. 
And uh, so we're on to week two coming up here with the Falcons and, and hopefully another great season here for the Buccaneers. But all the thanks to you. Thank, tell Todd we said hello. Thanks for allowing us to do this with you. And uh, have another great year and keep, keep living your best life. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, Lynette, you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. We will be right back. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.